Hello, welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies. I'm your host, Carla Nappi. I just talked uh, for about an hour with Ayo Wahlberg, who joined me from Copenhagen, about a book that he recently co-edited with co-editors Laurence Monet and C. Michelle Thompson. This book is Southern Medicine for Southern People, Vietnamese Medicine in the Making. Now, this was a really wonderful opportunity to talk about not just um, the content of the book, which is a wonderfully coherent introduction to um, and really synthesis of work on medicine in Vietnam and Vietnamese medicine. It's just a a particularly um, well-edited and and, uh, sort of well-formulated edited volume. Um, But it was also an opportunity to talk about the process of putting together, both from its initial conception to its final stages, a volume like this. Um, And uh, we had a great time talking. There's some wonderful, wonderful material in the book. And I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Ayo. Hi, Carla. (laughs) We're here today at New Books in East Asian Studies to talk with Ayo Wahlberg about a volume he recently co-edited and contributed to, and that's a volume called Southern Medicine for Southern People, Vietnamese Medicine in the Making. That came out with Cambridge Scholars Publishing just this year in 2012. Now, this is, um, as we'll talk about in the course of our discussion, which is particularly exciting for me because we don't often have the chance to talk about edited volumes, which is a really important part of um, of this field and which is, you know, a, a very different kind of process, I think, really interestingly, um, than a monograph. And one of the particular things about this monograph that's so exciting, um, well, there are a few things. Not only does it give a really rich and I think, at least in my experience, unprecedentedly rich account of Vietnamese medicine and medicine in Vietnam, and it's really kind of transtemporal in a, in a really beautiful way. But it's also at the same time both incredibly focused, right? There's a there's a real coherence um, without being repetitive in the course of the pieces. But at the same time, it's very very interdisciplinary, um, which is I think um, a very difficult balance to strike. And this book does it exceptionally well. So thank you, um, Io, for talking with us, and thank you for the volume. And thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> oh, it's very honest. Um, this is this is really, truly, truly a pleasure. Um, and as somebody um, who who is interested in the history of um, medicine in East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, you know, in general, this was a, a real treat um, to learn about this. Well, you know, actually, that that exact point that uh, you finished with there, um, the history of medicine in East Asia mm-hmm. slash Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. I think that's perhaps a nice place to start when we, we talk about this book. Because, in fact, um, the book uh, the, it was born out of uh, the first meeting of uh, a network which was established as recently as 2006, um, uh, which goes by the name of History of Medicine in Southeast Asia, that one of the co-editors, uh, Laurence Monet and uh, Hal Cook, um, were kind of instrumental in this establishing. And the the fact that it, it only emerged in 2006, I think, says something, that there is this newfound interest. And, um, uh, you know, in apart from our book, in recent years, we've had uh, Cambodians and their doctors by Ingrid Trankel and Jan Overson. Uh, coming up soon is Global Movements, Local Concerns, Medicine and Health in Southeast Asia, which uh, Laurence Monet, one of my co-editors with uh, Michelle Thompson, um, uh, and uh, Hal Cook, uh, sorry, Laurence Monet and Hal Cook are editing um, a volume on medicine in Southeast Asia. So this new focus, I guess, in some ways is a, a kind of coming out of the shadow of East Asia when it comes to medicine. And uh, and of course, that's a theme which runs through the, the entire um, uh, edited volume, this idea of somehow uh, carving out a niche uh, from, from the shadow of, of China, which pl- pl- obviously plays such an important role in the history of, of medicine in, in uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I mean, I was really struck um, by the recent, you know, by the fact that you do mention that this was um, really as recent as 2006, right, that this project started. And one of the things I think we'll, um, I hope, I'm sure we'll talk about later on in the discussion is that there really is an emphasis on the fact that, you know, taking a a cue from what you just um, told us, medicine in Vietnam and or Vietnamese medicine, right? And these, these aren't necessarily the same things has, nope. has typically been defined at, in opposition to something else, right? The exactly. sort of in relation to China or in relation to France or in relation to Western medicine or so on and so forth. So it's, 
um, it's actually, it's quite nice to see that come out so explicitly as a theme here. And at the same time, in a volume that focuses so much and gives such a rich picture of this particular case. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I would definitely agree with you in the sense that, that this is in some ways, this is very much a kind of a pioneering, um, uh, volume because let's say from a social science perspective, um, uh, at least in the English language, uh, um, scholarly literature, there has not been very much focus on Vietnamese medicine and other Southeast Asian medical traditions uh, as such, if you were to compare that to the focus that has been on Korean medicine or Chinese medicine or, or Japanese medicine. Um, so we're very proud of it on, on, uh, on, on that kind of uh, point. And, but at the same time, we should say that there is a very rich literature on these issues of uh, herbal medicine and Viet traditional medicine in Vietnam, within Vietnam, by uh, you know, the doctors and uh, chemists and scholars who've been involved. So it's not to say that we're the first to write about this. There, there have been plenty to, to write about it. But we, we had this particular interest as social scientists to try and account for the kind of historical, political, social, and cultural condi conditions under which something which has come to be known as Vietnam Vietnamese medicine could, could emerge, and that's really where the subtitle comes, Vietnamese medicine in the making. Um, so we're very excited by, uh, by being able to contribute to, to, uh, to an otherwise uh, very broad field of, of traditional medicine um, in, in all kinds of countries, not just East Asia, but also Africa and Latin America and so forth. Right. Well, at the same time, I think the title does a really nice um, job, Vietnamese medicine in the making, of emphasizing that this is very much a process. Right? This isn't a static kind of concept. And, the, and even the idea of tradition here as it plays out in these papers is very much um, con constructed, and I don't mean merely constructed, right? But very much sort of an, it, this medicine is an active process and not just a static thing that we can point to. Def definitely. And I, I guess in some ways that, that, that would be the, the kind of message of the book, which, which we hope then can, can perhaps play into discussions about, you know, once again, Chinese medicine or Korean medicine or, or medicine in other countries, that, that this idea of making is, is very analytically helpful. It, it really allows us to somehow look past a lot of the polemics that, that quite often surround uh, discussions about traditional medicine for, for all the reasons that most people who at least are interested in these things will know, uh, you know, uh, kind of conflicts between modern and uh, traditional medicines and ideas about what uh, evidences and, and so forth that by focusing on making, we're asking an empirical question and, uh, and a historical question that, that, that exactly as you point out, this is a process and it's something that you can, if you would, you know, take the time, you can observe, you can, you can uh, document, you can account for and really learn a lot from, from that documenting process itself. And I think all of us as, as authors and contributors, editors, we, we definitely felt we learned along the way um, as a result. Thank you. So, Io, could you kind of tell us a little bit about your own background and your own research focus and what brought you to the study of Vietnamese medicine um, in particular? Yeah, sure. Um, um, I would. This book is really a culmination, and and probably uh, you know I'm a, a, a postdoctoral research fellow currently at the Department of Anthropology, so I still consider myself a, a junior a scholar. Um, and this is definitely the the, the piece of uh, work or the the volume or or uh, product, however we put put these things, that I'm I'm kind of most proud of and and most excited about, in the sense that it's it's a culmination. Um, it's really been. Too Two journeys for me. Um, my my introduction to Vietnam came in the 1990s while I was uh, working as uh, um, I, I was doing my master's degree in development studies and working as an intern for a United Nations uh, information unit in Copenhagen. Um, I was studying at the Roskilde University, and one of the uh, uh, semesters was a kind of voluntary internship that you could kind of organize yourself and for various reasons, I um, was able to uh, organize and was um, able to spend time at the Institute of Chemistry in Hanoi in uh, 19, well, 
pretty much from the 1997 onwards on, on various occasions. So it was a little bit by chance, but uh, that first kind of visit to Vietnam in 1997 turned into, uh, well, definitely a kind of a personal love affair with the country. I, I really felt for, for Vietnam and uh, uh, enjoyed uh, visiting there and just met the most fabulous, fantastic people that I then talk about in, in the chapter that uh, that I contribute to this uh, volume, so we can talk about that later. So that that was my kind of introduction to to uh, to Vietnam was was through an internship, which then turned turned into a, a kind of research uh, uh, commitment and, and project, which I've been working on for the last decade or so, I guess. Um, time really flies. <laughs> and the the other journey uh, then, uh, if if I think about this book, is has been a, an academic one. So, uh, I, I uh, my PhD was uh, as a result of this internship. I decided to do a PhD on uh, the modernization of. Uh, herbal medicine, um, I um, was fortunate enough to, 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 to get to train uh, at the London School of Economics Department of Sociology, where very early on it was suggested that I approach this as a comparative um, um, project, and I chose actually to, uh, my, my, my dissertation uh, is entitled Modernization and Its Side Effects, um, the revival and renaissance of herbal medicine in Vietnam and the United Kingdom. Mm. So I compared the revivals of herbal medicine in two very different countries, which happened to be quite contemporaneous. So from the 1950s, 60s onwards, there was a revival in both countries. But as I then show in the in the dissertation, for very very different uh, reasons. And during this uh, training, I was uh, very fortunate to um, at the International Society for the History of East Asian Science. And technology, te science, technology, and medicine. I think it's Ish Tim <laughs> for short. <laughs> Their kind of triennial conference was organized by Professor Paul Unschuld um, in August 2005. It was a fantastic occasion, and this was I was a, a PhD student, one of my first kind of larger uh, conferences, and I was fortunate there to meet um, uh, my co-editors, so uh, Professor Michelle Thompson and uh, Professor Laurence Monet. Michelle is at uh, um, in southern Connecticut and uh, Laurence is in Montreal, and they were both there. And uh, since then we have been collaborating, and it's very rare, I think, that you, you meet people that you, I mean, on, one thing is that, you know, you meet fantastic friends, but another thing is to be working on such a, a kind of a niche area in some ways from a social science perspective, which is Vietnamese medicine, but sharing a kind of approach. We both had, or sorry, all three of us had the same, I, I, I would call it sensibility to how we should be trying to understand these things. And I think that's quite rare. And then on top of all that, um, we had a chronological match, which was just paradise. I mean, uh, uh, Michelle had, 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 and is, is, has, and continues to do work on the kind of uh, pre-colonial to colonial history of medicine. And when I say pre-colonial, I'm, I'm talking about the French colonial period because there was also a, a period where, where China was, was uh, ruling parts of Vietnam. Um, but uh, so Michelle had worked on kind of pre-colonial his, history of medicine in uh, uh, Vietnam. Um, Laurence is a, is a very accomplished um, a scholar on colonial history of medicine in Vietnam, and then myself, who had been, who had started this project on a kind of, let's say, post-colonial modernization of uh, herbal medicine. So, I mean, come on, what a, what a, <laughs> what a fit! Um, and you know, we've been collaborating since, and and this book really is that, you know, the collaboration of that kind of six, seven-year process that's been there. That sounds ideal and really, really rare. Very <laughs> rare. Just, I mean, right. how lucky can you be? <laughs> I, I can't, yeah, I mean, I, I can only dream um, of, of, yes. um, of that one. I think all of us can. So it sounds like this was a really um, sort of generative, very positive process of editing this volume. Can you talk a little bit about... Um, uh, the genesis of this volume. Sort of how, so now that you had you know, your three core editors, how did you go about um, finding the papers and finding, deciding the kind of contributions that you wanted in the volume? 
Yeah. Um, so this turned out to be uh, a challenge um, <laughs> for for many reasons because we had this social science. Uh, initially, we were thinking this this would be a social science volume, so kind of historians, sociologists, and anthropologists kind of thing. Um, and I should say that um, our very dear and uh, wonderful colleague Annick Gunel from CNRS in Paris. Um, uh, she was uh, part of the, the kind of journey from the beginning and uh, she, she has done fantastic work uh, on uh, kind of early 20th century history of uh, uh, medicine in, and has m many other ongoing projects on kind of uh, uh, medicine in, in Vietnam in the 20th century. Um, so she was very much a part of it as a historian from the beginning, you know, helping us to, to brainstorm and, and think, think about, uh, you know, who we could invite. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, I think somewhere in the introduction that, that at this stage, we're, we're talking six, seven years ago, there were certainly studies about uh, medicine in Vietnam from a social science perspective emerging. There were kind of ethnographies of, of medi how medicines are used, uh, uh, not least traditional medicines. Um, um, there were um, definitely kind of public health uh, oriented literature on on issues of health so there was definitely literature out there but um as i mentioned earlier this idea of of trying to understand how uh, vietnamese medicine as a national medicine could emerge under which circumstances there weren't weren't that many scholars out there so we decided very early on to become interdisciplinary and to try to get into touch with people who somehow, um, in our imaginings of this idea of a making, we saw as, as kind of playing a role um, in this making. So we have wonderful contributions from uh, medical doctors. Uh, Professor Huang Bao Chao is one of the uh, – has himself participated in the kind of revival of traditional medicine in Vietnam. Uh, he very kindly agreed to, to – um, contribute. Uh, we had contributions from historians who weren't necessarily working on traditional medicine as such, like uh, Sean uh, Malarney, but who um, still um, were interested in, 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 in this idea of a, a, a medical process as something that was ongoing in, in, in his case, uh, the 20th century and uh, in connection with the revolution. Um, so, you know, we decided to, to uh, just reach out to our networks and our contacts and kind of explain to people our, our, our with enthusiasm our idea and, and gradually got more and more people and we ended up getting, you know, where everything from psychiatrists to medical doctors to sociologists, anthropologists, historians, I think that's kind of the, the, the repeat. <laughs> <that's, laughs> so it, um, it was really reaching out to our, our networks and, uh, and uh, you know, mobilizing people. And, you know, ha very happily we found out that people um, were, were kind of keen to, to, to get on board. And um, so it was a snowball kind of effect, I would say. Now, one of the – exactly the um, – one of the wonderful things about the volume that you just mentioned, this really wonderful interdisciplinarity – must also present particularly um, intense challenges for an editor of this volume, right? Because you've got um, you've got contributions here that really span fields, and not just span social sciences fields, but also, as you mentioned, there are contributions from medical doctors and scientists, and who are all writing in very different kind of um, vernaculars. So, how yes. did what was that process like as an editor to, to try to um, do I think something that works, as I said, really well here, which is maintain a kind of coherence um, across really vastly different disciplines. Yeah, um, I, I, very early on, we decided that that um, we we can't do this. I mean, thank God for, for the internet and email and everything. But as editors, we just can't do this. I mean, we, we're, we're literally in three different countries as, as kind of core editors for the volume. But we just can't do this as, a, as just, you know, a, you know email exchange uh, across continents. That We're, we're going to have to just try to make the time to meet up. Um, and we kind of used conferences that we, we were all interested in attending as good occasions. But also we're very fortunate to get funding from various. Uh, grants uh, to actually meet for editorial meetings and uh, we met in Montreal, we met in Con Connecticut, we met in uh, Vancouver actually. Oh um, yay! Yes, <laughs> for the, I think it was the history of science combined with the forest, the social studies mm -hmm. of uh, science society um, meeting of 2007 maybe, something like that. But in any case, we, we very early on 
we were clear we, we need to meet because it's not just you know the normal peer review process of commenting and, and, and ensuring that people get feedback and uh, carry out their revisions and so forth that that you know that's all online these days anyway but it was really to do that you know talk about these things um, uh, and you know we, we we would talk about every paper as they came in and the, the volume took, you know, kind of six years to, to come into being. And part of that was that we, we spent a lot of time with each of the contributors, uh, not because they were sending us, uh, you know, a, a bad material, but just as you pointed out, we had to try to, uh, to create a kind of a common, uh, at least flow to the, the book so that there was somehow, there was a, there was a, a kind of a, a link to each chapter, even though we allowed space for, for each of the authors to, of course, um, you know, to, to come up with the findings and the conclusions that they, they felt were warranted. But still, we, we wanted to have, uh, the, to ensure that every chapter somehow gave us a piece of this puzzle of a kind of process of uh, a form of medicine and national medicine, and I hope we can talk about that in a bit, a national medicine um, specifically, how that came about. And I, I, well, I hope we succeeded, and I do believe that we did, and that was really, uh, you know, back and forth with the authors and sending our comments, and our, our, our contributors were just wonderful in, in kind of... Uh, um, embracing this this project and uh, i really think we were all on on board um uh, from very early on but it was a long process and and i think um uh, you know in this day of you know publish 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 you're kind of feeling that you should rush these things but we we didn't want to rush this we really wanted to to make this a a, a really nice contribution and and we we hope and think 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 we that we did. Absolutely. Well, I think you did. <laughs> and, you know, as you mentioned it, we can, let's talk about nationalism and national medicine right now. Um, yes. There are, I mean, this is one of the great things about having the, a conversation about this kind of volume is that I think there are a lot of, you know, what's um, I think interesting for us to talk about is going to be these sort of major organizing threads that come yeah. up in really nicely for listeners who haven't had a chance yet. And I hope you will. Um, listeners out there to read the book. There's a really nice synthetic introduction and a conclusion. And these aren't just the kinds of um, edited volume intros and conclusions that go, you know, this is what this piece is about and this is what this piece is about. They really do um, try to pull out and, and focus on and organize um, the discussion around synthetic themes that then bring in the, the you know mentions of the individual contributions as they fit. So, so one of those themes... Um, that organizes the book is this idea of national medicine and the question of what a national medicine is. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. So what, how, how is this um, important in your view for what, um, what this volume is doing and for understanding Vietnamese medicine? Yeah, I think the, the best way, you know, and I, I do this all the time with my students and, and just anybody who kind of uh, will let me talk about the book, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask them the question, how, co how come we don't hear about Danish medicine? That's how right. How, how come we don't hear about Canadian medicine, you know? And, uh, and there's kind of a point to that. Um, uh, and, you know, that's really the curiosity that, that re really to this day is, is driving me is that, you know, in certain circumstances under certain conditions a medicine can become national and obviously vietnam is not the only country we've already mentioned chinese medicine uh, korean medicine uh, japanese medicine and so forth there are other places where there's a, a national medicine and in fact uh, there's one thing that that i find quite curious that the, the World Health Organization often um, highlights a kind of trio of nations when it comes to what they call having the most integrative uh, medical systems when you think about the place that traditional med medicine has in uh, health delivery health or, or medical delivery, uh, medical research, and medical training. And they always kind of point to China, South Korea, uh, also North Korea sometimes, uh, and Vietnam. So China, Korea, Vietnam are, are very often highlighted as having the most integrative medical systems. But another thing links them, and that is exactly that in each of these countries, for various reasons, the medicines have become, uh, traditional medicines have become national. So uh, Vietnamese medicine, Vietnam, uh, or in Korean medicine, um, you know, I'm thinking of work by people like Hyo J. Cho and 
Yeon Jung Ma, I hope I'm pronouncing them right, in Korea, and Kim Taylor, Sean Lei, uh, and, and many others in, in the Chinese context. Um, but there is a particularity for Vietnam, and that is that uh, both in China and in Korea, you've seen some kind of a public standoff between you know, so-called traditional and so-called modern medicine, um, whether it's a struggle to officially abolish traditional medicine, as we saw in early 20th century China, or the kind of famous standoff between pharmacists and herbalists in, in, in late 20th century um, South Korea. There's been some kind of a public standoff and tensions. There are certainly tensions in Vietnam. There's, there, we should not romanticize in, in that sense. There are tensions, but you haven't seen a public standoff in uh, in uh, Vietnam when it comes to this relationship to tradition, traditional and modern medicine. Um, and uh, one of the things we explore in the book is, is, is you know, uh, especially those chapters, and it must be said that most chapters do kind of focus on uh, 20th century um, history of medicine rather than um, uh, before that. Um, um, but one of the things that, uh, that we see uh, is that... Um, Time and again, you'll, you'll hear people, and I, to this day, when I speak with people that I, I meet in Vietnam and tell them, I'm, and, or would tell them that I'm in, in town to kind of uh, work on these kinds of issues, everyone would quote this famous uh, uh, sentence from uh, uh, Uncle Ho, from Ho, Ho Chi Minh, that, that we must combine Eastern and Western medicine. So we kind of came to think of it almost as a, a kind of a doctrine of combination, which is quite unique to um, Vietnam, not because, uh, I mean, uh, Chairman Mao has similar statements where we, one should combine the old and the new, but still the, the distinctions, there, there is some kind of a, 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 a superior-inferior superior, relationship very often kind of embedded in, in not every position, but in many of the positions one can see in, in other countries. Whereas in Vietnam, from the beginning, there was this very... Off not defensive, like an offensive strategy to say that that traditional medicine, our traditions must be um, uh, treated uh, on an equal level um, and must be integrated. We must make use of them. Um, and there are all kinds of uh, explanations um, that, that need to be brought into the mix if we're really to understand that kind of lack of a public standoff between modern and traditional medicine. And one of those puzzle pieces is this very, very close link. And Michelle Thompson has done wonderful work really showing us the links between the anti-colonial um, uh, nationalist movements in the early 20th century, and not just traditional medicine, but actually Vietnamese who were trained in modern medicine, who came to be quite disillusioned and, and uh, dissatisfied with the fact that their medical traditions were not being uh, taught in uh, curricula at, at the Hanoi Medical School, for example. So there's a very close link between uh, Ho Chi Minh, the people around him, and uh, medical training. Uh, and I think this is one of the kind of pieces of the puzzle that ensured that traditional medicine, and when I say traditional medicine, um, it's not because I, I kind of analytically accept this phrase, but it's a kind of accepted way to kind of lump together specifically herbal medicine, that's really the cornerstone of what Vietnamese medicine is considered to be, but also um, elements of, uh, of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, moxibustion, um, certain massage techniques. But herbal medicine really is the cornerstone of Vietnamese medicine. So that link between the anti-colonial nationalist movement and, you know, kind of stories of, of, of using traditional medicine in the jungles during fighting both French soldiers and later on American soldiers, that place that traditional medicine has been had, has had as, as a respected, um, not last resort, but actually, a, 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 well, in some senses it was a last resort because very often that would be uh, flagged as, as a way to to overcome uh, shortages of modern medical supplies. But still, you would get a sense that there, there was a pride here that, um, you know, we, we are reclaiming something here, that something that's been, in some senses, denigrated um, by a colonial past that's been kind of dissed, <laughs> to use a, <laughs> a modern word, um, uh, by um, colonial policies and uh, pra practices under the French uh, colonial rule. Um, really this idea that we, we're going to reclaim this. This is ours. We believe in this. And you, you see those in many of the quotes in the book, that there's this very kind of offensive strategy that we will not accept anyone who denigrates our medical uh, practices and traditions, um, at least those which we 
consider to be, and when I say we, I'm, I'm thinking of the kind of official uh, Vietnamese government strategy to revive uh, traditional medicine, that at least those, uh, and again, herbal medicine plays a prominent role, those that we um, consider to be um, uh, of value. Um, we, we simply won't accept anyone telling us that th this is not good enough. Um, and that's quite unique, I think, that, that really offensive strategy to get out there to, to say that our medicine is just as good as Western medicine. Um, I think that's quite unique. I, I, I haven't really bumped into it in, in that same kind of, uh, let's say, volume as, as, as I have in the Vietnamese context. Sure. And for listeners who may not uh, be aware of this, I think the choice of um, language that you're using, we and our medicine, this speaks very specifically to a way of naming Vietnamese medicine, right? And this is something that comes up um, in the introduction, that you t you talk about you you and the you and your co-editors talk about um, the different ways of calling Vietnamese medicine, and one of these ways is translated explicitly as our medicine. Yeah, right? exactly. Talk Thai. It's 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 really an it's an interpolation, and and we need to to when we listen to that, we need to hear the the kind of weight of history behind that that kind of in, uh, interpolation and that kind of naming of, of Vietnamese medicine. Yeah, and you're, you're spot on. And I think, you know, on the, the, the back cover, we kind of write that the compass points, uh, north, south, east, west, saturate every chapter. Because, the, and you pointed out a bit earlier, that, that Vietnamese medicine was consistently defining itself um, against that which what it was not. So it was southern medicine as opposed to no northern medicine. And later on when the colonial um, kind of medicalization processes kicked in, it became eastern medicine rather than western medicine. And that, that some people might choose to see that as a kind of defensive position, but we really came to see this as, uh, you know, I, I would prefer to call it an offensive uh, kind of uh, strategy that uh, reclaiming a kind of uh, very clear demarcation and you know it's it the message is clear don't 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 mess with with this kind of uh, this and and you know uh, hats off you know uh, you you look at uh, you know uh, the 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 status of um, uh, the the kind of standard health uh, measurements of population health in vietnam vietnam has always been praised for being uh, um, compared to its kind of GNP per capita, it's always had very high health indicators and kind of been uh, pointed out as, as having a very proactive and, and successful kind of public health uh, um, uh, yeah, campaign and, and strategy. Mm -hmm. And what's actually really interesting, or one of the many things that's interesting about how you're talking about this is the um, sort of the language of reclaiming and an offensive gesture you also use the language of traditional, and you said, you know, you're using this very deliberately. Um, one of the really nice things the volume does is make the point that just as our medicine as a term, sort of as a descriptor, comes into play as a kind of, as you say, a sort of reclaiming gesture, an offensive gesture, also um, the terms of traditional and scientific also come into play. And this is starting in the 1930s, right, I think, as an explicit gesture, right, as an explicit yeah. means of making. So how, can you talk about that? Because this um, relationship between and deployment of the language of tradition and science or sciencization is another one of the key themes that you and your co-editors identify as being central to the volume. Definitely. Um, so uh, I think this, you know, um, Laurence uh, uh, Monet, one of, the, one of our co-editors, um, and her contribution specifically in this volume and her work in general, which I, I really admire, um, you know, uh, let, let's be clear that before I before I kind of come to my point, everyone knows that uh, colonial policies, when it comes to um, uh, the medical traditions that were were kind of uh, commonplace in Vietnam when when the French arrived, they they were in no way supportive of of those uh, practices and traditions. They were dismissive. There was a very kind of arrogant, uh, you know, the classic ideas that this is sorcery, it's uh, it's quackery. Uh, you know, we we are here to enlighten. We are here to teach that, that you know that that that's let's be 100 percent clear but at the same time what what uh, Laurence does very nicely in this volume is is to show us that we can't accept this idea of a complete rejection 
um, of these practices um, uh, at face value. Uh, the rhetoric is certainly there, and and a lot of practices are certainly discouraging. And uh, in some ways, there has been a systematic effort to kind of push um, these practices to the side. But pragmatics kind of come into the picture, and she shows very nicely how there were certainly some uh, colonial um, uh, people working within the co- colonial uh, kind of administration, health administration, who ended up having quite a, a, a positive view of these uh, medicines. And one of her points is that this is the time in which medicine becomes traditional. It gains the signifier because, not because uh, um, uh, it's never been there before, but because science comes into the mix. So we need to have something which, which um, uh, uh, signifies something which is not our medicine. And our medicine is clearly modern. So what's the opposite of modern? Kind of what's the opposite of north? That's south. Well, the opposite of modern is traditional. So in a, in a kind of um, ironic or, let's say, uh, funny way, that naming of traditional medicine kind of institutionalizes it and creates the conditions for a scientific process to start studying the chemical uh, kind of uh, constituents of plants, to to create lists of, of, uh, of those um, uh, medical species which might be useful when, when you can't get access to all those uh, modern medical supplies because of the, the exigencies of colonial um, administration, rural areas especially. Um, the, the naming of a medicine as, as traditional was, was not just to denigrate it, it was actually carving out a space, it was opening up a platform and we need to keep our eyes on those continuities. Certainly there was a break. If we compare uh, Ho Chi Minh's government's policies to traditional medicine, they were radically different from the colonial uh, health authorities' policies towards traditional medicine. But there are continuities and these are the, the subtle things that I think the volume helps to kind of explore is that we, 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 we of course uh, um, kind of uh, for sure uh, accept and we can see this this uh, contrast between West and East, but at the same time, there are also these these uh, fissures, these these continuities which which uh, link the two together. So tradition was as opposed to modern, um, and then ironically, it kind of op- carves out a space for these uh, traditions to be researched and to be systematized, and and that's then what characterizes the 20th century: is this very systematic and uh, and uh, um, uh, yeah, really a comprehensive program to, to map out on the one hand, to, to catalog which medical uh, plants are being used around the country, and then the, on the other hand to modernize, industrialize, and not least commercialize as, as one of the, the, the pieces kind of quite nicely shows. And this actually is a, is a wonderful way to lead us into um, a discussion of your particular contribution to the volume, which is, mm, yes. um, which is all about, um, on some level, this... Um, sort of industrialization of herbal medicine and this engagement um, between sort of ideas of efficacy and local um, herbal medical cultures. Um, so your um, your chapter, and it's chapter six for listeners, Family Secrets and the Industrialization of Herbal Medicine in Post-Colonial Vietnam. And this, this chapter opens with an extraordinarily um, interesting uh, vignette of this doctor um, or... Um, is he a doctor? Uh, he, he's at, um, an apprentice-trained herbalist, as you would say, a long yi. Um, uh, he's uh, trained by his uh, father in uh, traditional medicine, specifically herbal medicine. So um, he does have training, but it's the kind of apprentice training, training that he's had. And so this anecdote it starts in the early uh, 1980s. And we follow him and you lead us um, with him on this journey that takes him throughout the length of Vietnam to look for local remedies for opium addiction. It's really, it's a really fascinating sco- story. And can you talk a little bit about that for our listeners? Yes, I can. And uh, I really have to say this, you know, this um, uh, Tran Quang Zan is, uh, as, as mentioned, he's a, a traditional practitioner trained by his father. And uh, really, if, if I was to think about, you know, people I've met in my life, one of the most inspiring people I've ever had the chance to kind of spend time with and, and talk to and, and see in action while I was doing my research at the Institute of Chemistry. Um, he, uh, he uh, and while I was doing my inter- internship at the Institute of Chemistry, the kind of work around uh, his remedy was, was going on. So I, I really got a chance to, to meet a lot of the people um, in that first kind of uh, meeting. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very long and complex short 
story, but just to kind of cook it down, because readers can obviously go to the, the volume. Um, he, um, um, for, for personal re- reasons in the early 80s, uh, decided that he would um, uh, find or look for a, a cure for drug addiction. He'd seen the, the, the serious damage that, that drug addiction, especially opium addiction, was uh, kind of uh, reeking on, on uh, people around him in, in the south of Vietnam. Um, and uh, trained as a uh, kind of medical practitioner, he decides, well, what I'll do is I'll go and visit different uh, communes, uh, different uh, rural areas and talk to traditional practitioners, which is not something, um, you know, this has been quite a common thing, uh, um, uh, this kind of ethno uh, methodology, so ethno-pharmacology, um, idea that you, you, you should benefit from the knowledge of, of the way that uh, people have for, for ages been using their... their um, flora and fauna for medical purposes. So uh, many people have been doing this in Vietnam, um, uh, sponsored by the state. But he sponsors this himself. He travels from north, uh, sorry, from south to north, the length of Vietnam through uh, uh, almost a decade, and spends time in these villages talking to them about how do you treat um, drug addiction. And, and uh, 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 one thing he kind of finds out is that most of these uh, remedies uh, that he's collecting, uh, the recipes for, have some amount of opium in it to kind of appease withdrawal symptoms, much like uh, the, the methadone uh, system that is familiar in the West, that you, you kind of try to bring people down rather than just uh, withdraw their, their, their dependency um, completely. So he wasn't satisfied with this. So after he'd He'd, he'd gotten all this experience in what kind of herbs uh, and medical plants are being used. He then started reading, so reading anything he could, both in Western and uh, Eastern literature about, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking Chinese uh, medicine literature and Western medicine literature about addiction, and starts experimenting. And this is where it gets uh, quite inspiring. He decides that the only way he's going to crack this nut, um, to use these horrible cliches, is that he has to addict himself because okay. he, he needs to feel the, the withdrawal to, to get a sense of what, what, what this is about. And for a period of about three years, he goes through successive withdrawals to test various uh, combinations and eventually is convinced that he's found a very effective uh, treatment to specifically to get rid of the cravings, which many addicts speak, as, speak of as one of the kind of major factors uh, behind relapse, for example, uh, once you've gone through uh, uh, a withdrawal that, that you have this craving. And he was convinced that, that uh, he, he has this and he went to health authorities in his local Hatai uh, province um, and, uh, you know, the story kind of takes off from there and I, I, that's where I kind of jump in in the, in, the, um, in the volume and then explain how he then collaborates with chemists at the Institute of Chemistry to improve the extraction processes and to create a pill, basically. It was a liquid that he, he uh, cooked at, at home in some ways and brewed, but uh, it then became this uh, pill and the kind of challenges that they, they, they experienced along the way. And the focus, again, was on collaboration. So you had a, a chemist and a traditional practitioner who are very good friends, uh, Tran Van Sung, one of the best chemists in Vietnam, working side by side uh, and respecting completely the, the viewpoints and uh, advice of, of his colleague, um, Tran Kuangzan. Really inspirational to, to have a chance to see that. And um, once again, perhaps one of the, these particularities that, that in Vietnam you don't have that, uh, uh, that kind of public standoff between modern and, and so-called traditional medicine. And this sort of this importance of collaboration really interestingly um, reflect something that um, occurs on multiple levels, both in this piece and throughout the volume. So not only are you emphasizing here, really interestingly, um, the importance of collaboration between herbalists and botanists and chemists um, and ecologists, but also you emphasize the point that both in this case, um, he is insisting and his collaborators are insisting on what you call a multiple pot strategy, right? So rather than trying to kind of look at the efficacy of individual components um, of this remedy, and there are, what, 12, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's important to look at them together. And this also, I think, nicely speaks to the, the over, um, overarching theme of pluralism yeah. um, in medical practice that really um, permeates the volume. Definitely. So, so this is the, the this idea of a multiple pot is for anyone kind of mildly interested in the the kind of technical jargon behind natural products. Um, one of the things that distinguishes herbal medicines from a pharmaceutical product is that herbal medicines contain extracts of plants. 
um, and a pharmaceutical product has a single uh, chemical ingredient which has then been uh, mass produced and kind of you know cooked down into a pill. So one plant can have thousands of um, uh, chemical ingredients. So you haven't taken out uh, the, the you know one single one and then synthesized it and then mass produced it. You're kind of sticking to the fact that. Um, that uh, that we need all the, the the ingredients in this plant. So we will yes, we will modernize the production process, but we will stay faithful to the full plant extract. And here we have not just a single plant which can be complex enough. We have twelve plants, um, and uh, to standardize twelve, as I learned um, uh, in my time in the laboratories, both in in uh, Hanoi but also in uh, in uh, Germany where they collaborate with the uh, uh, Institute of Plant Biochemistry in, in uh, Halle in Germany that you know to standardize something that has 12 um, plants in it is is a monstrous uh, challenge um, because of the complexity so like one of uh, my informants uh, a scientist put it that you know you speak of kind of looking for a fingerprint to, to kind of uh, confirm that a certain um, uh, a certain plant is part of an extract, so you should be able to see through chromatography a certain fingerprint. But then he said, well, imagine having a thousand fingerprints jammed on top of each other and trying to kind of figure out which fingers are, are present in this mosaic. Um, but they are, they are developing, I mean, using all kinds of spectrometry. Uh, uh, Spectrometry and um, uh, uh, new, newer kind of modern uh, chromatography method. They are t- developing ways to, to, to standardize um, uh, in some kind of consistent way. But it's fraught with challenge. Um, and the collaboration um, uh, from day one um, was, was very uh, mutual. And the sense that you know, we must accommodate uh, Tran Quang Zan's thinking behind his medicine in the way that we kind of uh, reduce this to a pill. Uh, if, if to, to put it in, in one way. So, and that, yeah, you're right. Pluralism is, is definitely um, um, a kind of something that characterizes the making of Viet- Vietnamese medicine because, you know, by now, north, south, east, west, it's all there and it's being used by everyone on a daily basis. And, you know, anthropologists have for a long time uh, shown us how um, patients in whatever country are rarely faithful to any certain ideology of, of health. They'll shop around, they'll, they'll kind of go after. And um, uh, Melissa Peshigian's uh, chapter in the volume where she talks about infertility, um, uh, kind of uh, roots of infertility treatment um, uh, in uh, uh, Hanoi, kind of shows this really nicely that, that people will try northern medicine, southern medicine, eastern medicine, until, and the way she puts it, until they find suitable medicine, something that suits their, their particular needs and their bodies and their frames of mind. Um, so pluralism is, is part of that making process to accommodate various approaches to, um, and, and trying to get those approaches into conversation. And certainly there are tensions. I mean, let's, uh, let's be clear. There, there, there will always be tensions between, in some ways, competing, uh, competing uh, therapies um, because it's, we, we speak of a kind of a medical marketplace uh, as one of the components of this pluralism that you can buy herbal products, but you can also buy antibiotics and you know, people are competing for customers. So there's a, there, is a, there is tension there. It's not to, again, not to romanticize. And that's really one of the things that I'm, I'm you know, trying to drill home in my chapter is that we shouldn't, you know, invoking a kind of neo-Weberian uh, rational West versus a mystical East is just not going to do us any analytical favors. We're not going to understand what's, what's happening. Right. And you, I mean, one of the ways that you do this in this chapter, and, and I think this is um, a kind of theme that also uh, weaves out through the rest of the volume, but it's really nicely um, articulated here, is you show us in this particular case study of Hiantos, right, the, which is the yes. name of this drug, you show us the ways in which standardization and sort of explanations of efficacy become really crucial to the process by which this drug or this um, collect this collection of um, ingredients in this one sort of compound drug um, is actually industrialized and is, is produced. And what's really interesting about that, and I'd, I would love to hear, um, for our listeners to hear a little bit more about how your ethnographic practice in, in these um, laboratories actually helped you understand that, because this is very much um, about not just, you know, when we talk about pluralism and sort of collaboration, as you mentioned, 
the danger is to paint a very romanticized, rosy view of everybody's happy, everything's together. But this is very much about power um, as well. And mentioning fingerprints is very telling because you know, yes. one of the things historians of of science and historians of identification have shown is that sort of what you get from fingerprinting people is you get a way not just of identifying them, but of classifying them in a system and controlling them. Um, So can you speak to some of these issues and also um, with this, the ways that your ethnographic work actually helped you understand this? Yeah. So here, spot on, I really like this question. So um, here, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I refuse to be the romantic because I, I don't think that's going to get us. I mean, on personal levels, we're, we're perhaps all romantics to some extent and should be. Um, but I'm, I'm speaking from, let's say, an analytical perspective. The romanticism is not going to help us understand what's going in my lab, or that's what I found. But on the other hand... I refuse then to go into the other um, um, kind of uh, other extreme, which I, I, I kind of call the, the bio-colonization uh, hypothesis. So the idea that, oh, now that uh, Tran Quang Zan decided he's going to collaborate with the chemists, oh, he's just being colonized. He's being subsumed. He's being forced into these categories of a modern West. He has to account for the chemical constituents and components um, in his uh, concoction. He has to submit it to randomized clinical trials. All these things are happening in Vietnam. But I I don't think the colonization hypothesis helps me when I'm in the lab account for the way that I saw them uh, working together and collaborating. Um, I I didn't see, uh, uh, you know, the chemists versus the traditional practitioners arguing about uh, underlying uh, philosophies. What I saw was really, you know, pragmatic, curious people saying, wow, uh, okay, if tell me why you chose those three plants uh, and, and these three plants. Um, um, and one interesting kind of story that came out of it is that, that initially the way that they, they extracted, they grouped the, the, these 12 plants into three groups. And initially the grouping was made according to uh, Tran Quang Zan's kind of therapeutic idea that you have to give them something that's quite strong in the beginning to help with these withdrawal symptoms. You have to give them some sedatives to help them sleep. And some plants were specifically for that. And then afterwards, there's a long period of recuperation where you have to keep cravings at bay. You have to give them, you know, not as intense a dose. So they created three groupings of, of plants and extracted them. Um, and they found out that, well, actually, this this way of doing it, uh, you know, in clinical kind of uh, 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 practice, when when it was being used in patients, was not as as effective in some ways as the as the kind of brew had been the the syrup. Um, so then uh, Tran Van Sung says, well. Let's change the, the logic. Let's, let's group them according to their secondary metabolites because certain secondary metabolites, which, you know, different plants have different kind of constitutions and the secondary metabolites are one of, in medical terms, some of the most important uh, in, in a plant. Um, so Tran Van Sung says, why don't we group these according to uh, the way that we know they can be extracted best? in a best possible way. So certain classes of secondary metabolites are are extracted more efficiently using certain methodologies. So then they regrouped them into three groups again, according to this logic, and found out that they then came up with uh, a much more effective, again, uh, testing with with, uh, uh, patients, um, a a much more effective kind of uh, uh, setup. So they reverted back to this single pill rather than having three different pills. You have a single pill and then you adjust the doses according to which stage of a treatment process you are. So this is, you know, this is a, a, a dialogue. This is a collaboration. Um, and I, I wouldn't describe Tran Quang Zhang as colonized. I would describe him as curious, as, as somebody who's trying to help patients. And and I think it, 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 it is really to miss the point to to overemphasize the... the and, and that's not to say that uh, as a... As a medicalization as a process which involves technologies bringing in certain uh, forms of industrial techniques is going on for sure. For sure it's going on. But for me, I, I, I just, I, I think there's a certain uh, paternalism in the colonization hypothesis, which I just couldn't uh, see when I was there. There was much more a mutual collaboration. And for this reason, I, I, I don't want to generalize because I, I haven't been in a hundred labs. I was in this particular lab. So, you know, 
in other labs, perhaps the colonization hypothesis makes a lot more sense. Um, and I'll leave that, obviously, to, to other uh, ethnographers. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned I was going to ask you, um, but I guess you just answered that, how typical you thought this particular case study was of um, some sort of broader trend that you might describe. But maybe yeah. you just answered that question. Yeah, well, I, it, it's definitely not um, f- fully typical. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it was ra- rather high profile. It had quite a lot of funding and things like this. So, so in that sense, uh, it, it's not typical. But that sense of collaboration, uh, you know, combined with the knowledge that we, we, we have about the kind of doctrine of combination, as we've called it, you know, they fit together. It, it wasn't something that was jarring with other things that we, we knew that, were, that have been happening in, in Vietnam. And, and this emphasis on collaboration as an active process also um, brings us to, or might be a, a way to bring us to, um, another one of the um, points that um, you and your co-editors are uh, making in this volume, or are articulating, at least in the introduction, um, which is that one of the dichotomies um, that you want to try to use this volume to take apart, in addition to this sort of romanticized East-West and the dichotomy of the sort of um, colonial medical encounter as a, you know, powerful versus completely, you know, um, victimized, you know, poles. Yeah. The other dichotomy you talk about is this idea of a kind of pure um, Southern medicine or a pure Vietnamese medicine that exists out there somewhere that is somehow, you know, uh, changed or made um, less than or, or you know, in, in whatever way we want to um, describe this. But exactly this process that you're talking about in your paper, I think, is a great way um, to show the idea that um, Vietnamese medicine is very much in, in the making as the title, yeah. right? Definitely. And here we really have to highlight, uh, again, Michelle, Michelle Thompson's, you know, really rigorous and wonderful work that, that, that she's done, um, and her, her kind of grasp of, of, of this pre-colonial history, which, you know, really goes, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very long period she's covering in her chapter compared to the rest of us. Um, and, you know, she's really showing us that, that again, the, the kind of standard version is that that uh, southern medicine is the inferior kind of empiric empiricist uh, you know people uh, just you know kind of cooked up in their backyards uh, recipes that people were using in the countryside and northern medicine which is chinese medicine is part of a learned philosophy uh, a, a school uh, a much richer kind of uh, um, a scholarly tradition behind it um, so the idea is that Again, northern medicine, and when, when the Chinese came, came to what is today known as Vietnam, they brought with them their medicine, and, and they kind of, uh, just as the colonial, French colonials brought with them their medicine and, and enlightened the, the, the masses, a similar kind of narrative in some places is there, that northern medicine has influenced southern medicine. But what Michelle shows is, of course, there's a, a, a back and forth going on. I mean, there's, there's trade routes between the north and the south. And this north-south distinction is not just north-south, uh, uh, you know, China, Vietnam. Within China, there's a north-south, which is a very important distinction. And within Vietnam, there's a north-south. So it, it's better to think of it as, as like almost a, a, a route or a continuum along which different tradings and, and exchanges are going on, on. And she very convincingly, if you ask me, kind of shows that certainly knowledge of so-called southern medicines, these so-called miraculous medicines of the south, um, was permeating also up north. And uh, there are, are very clear examples of certain materia medica which are, are very commonly found in the, the Viet, what is today known as Vietnam, which were also mentioned in, in, in certain medical uh, treatises in, in China. So, of course, there's an interaction. And that's part of that, that kind of uh, back, back and forth that's going on. And that's not to say that that, of course, there has been an influence from Chinese medicine and Vietnamese medicine. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. And I also really liked that chapter. And one of the things that, um, one of the many things I think she does really helpfully in that chapter is not just show that um, sort of the, we can't really read back, you know, China and Vietnam in time as if these were stable, coherent geographical entities, no. right, in, in, the, in the history of this medicine. But also she does this really interesting thing um, where she, at some at one point in the chapter, emphasizes the different local cultures of highland versus lowland medicine, yeah. which is you know which kind of invokes the broader discourse of, kind of zomia and the, and the importance of upland cultures and upland history. And I think that there's really a lot of room there for people to explore that, um, you know, as a kind of 
locality of uh, medical and cultural um, and sort of knowledge production that we don't really have a lot of literature on. I mean, I think that's, I think she's identified there a really nice direction for what I hope will be a lot of future research. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I, there, there's so much work to be done there. And uh, like, you know, we started this kind of talk talking about Southeast Asia coming out of the shadow of, of, of East Asia. I mean, Vietnam is, is the link, isn't it? it? Vietnam is both East Asia, but also Southeast Asia. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly hope that our, our volume in some way can contribute to uh, kind of piquing some curiosities and, and getting people kind of more interested in, in seeing these particularities because we, I mean, I can only attest that, that you just learn so much in asking this question of what makes a medicine in a, in a particular context. And these days it's very convenient to, to uh, kind of speak of national medicines because you can travel to certain locations and so forth. But I think anywhere you go, you can, you can, I hope helpfully use this idea of the making of medicine to, as an analytical strategy, really, and, and empirical for that matter, ethnographic strategy, um, just coming to a place and, and being curious, you know, how, how, how is this thing unfolding and what can we learn from that? Absolutely. And I think that's something, I think that both really helpfully brings us to maybe a place where we might sum up. And yep, also, yep. Um, and also um, I think that's a, a kind of strategy or the kind of strategy that you're recommending for us is also, I think, really helpful, not just for people who are doing ethnographic work in real time right now, but also for historians and for those of us who are doing a kind of historical ethnographic work on, on material yeah. from the past, right? Yeah, definitely. And there, you know, the, the methodological uh, interactions that I've had, you know, I'm trained as a sociologist currently, but always kind of been working ethnographically and currently uh, at a department of anthropology. Um, um, my interactions with, with uh, Laurence and Michelle, who are both, you know, trained as historians, it's just been wonderful. I mean, uh, for me, I, I couldn't think of an eth ethnography that, that doesn't do its history. And, and I hope, uh, similarly, a lot of historians probably have the, the feeling that uh, a lot of interesting history is to be done where you try to kind of uh, uh, get as much ethnographic uh, material that you can, I mean, within the limits of, of, of source sets and so forth. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think somebody once said maybe somewhere, or else I'm misremembering this. I was talking with my students about this yesterday. Um, history is the anthropology of the past and anthropology is the history of the present or something, there you right? Go. There, mean, you so. go. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody once said that, and if not, we just said that. So, um, so I, there's, there's obviously so much more um, about this volume and in this volume that we just didn't have a chance to talk about. Are there any pieces in particular um, that you want to uh, sort of particularly highlight um, for listeners who haven't yet had the chance to read the volume that stand out for you as particularly surprising or helpful or... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, well, uh, what a challenge. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned quite a few along the way, and each chapter merits, you know, a, an hour-long chat in itself. But obviously, Rob Whitehurst's wonderful kind of uh, recounting of how he um, was involved in returning um, the diaries of uh, Dang Tui Tram uh, to uh, 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 who was a, uh, a lady who was trained as a, a doctor who died um, during the, the war against American soldiers uh, while while kind of uh, treating soldiers and uh, that whole story there is just again gives you such a, a rich insight into the daily life of these things so you know when you're treating soldiers on the front line you, you know you're growing a garden of medical plants not for some ideology that you know modern medicine is, is toxic and so forth because you know you're in the field and this is what you have access to and and you're just trying your best to to, to treat people um, Sean uh, Malarney's you know fantastic uh, kind of historical documentation of how the revolutionary government, uh, Ho Chi Minh's government, in many ways continued these civilizing strategies when it came to, you know, hygiene, um, uh, you know, uh, strategies to, to, to improve the, the, the hygiene of, uh, of uh, especially rural com communities by uh, invoking germ theory and, and popularizing germ theory. And Huang Bao Chao's, uh, you know, really first-hand account of how 
medicine, uh, traditional medicine, was revived by the government as an active policy. Um, Nguyen Phuong Ngoc's uh, fantastic uh, story of uh, pharma, Trafico, sorry, which is one of the largest herbal medicine producers, and commercialization is that's the story in the 21st century, without a doubt. And then the last two chapters by um, uh, Cam Xuan uh, Yuan, Jack Xie, and uh, Huang Uitrong, um, and Laurence Monet also has one looking at this idea of Vietnamese diasporas and how they, uh, once they've moved to uh, United Kingdom and Canada, respectively, how they kind of invoke um, and, and understand, relate themselves to their, their medical conditions uh, according to uh, both traditional but also uh, modern medical, um, uh, both uh, ideas but also kind of drugs and, and, and pharmaceuticals. I, I could go on. I, I better stop. <laughs> and diasporic medicine, I'll just note, like, um, it's really interesting recently how much diasporic medicine is actually emerging as a, um, it, certainly in Canada, um, as a subfield of history and anthropology of medicine that's getting a lot of, um, I think, much needed attention right now. It's a really fascinating yep. field. Yeah, a, f- a final anecdote from Nguyen Phuong Nok while she was interviewing the people at Trafico, this company who've kind of opened their eyes to, to the world now. It's not just a, a Vietnamese market. They want us just like Chinese medicine has gone global. They want to go global. And so she was kind of saying that they were laughing, the, the, some of the representatives, that they need to change this famous phrase, which is the title of our book, Southern Medicine for Southern People. Um, uh, they have to change it to uh, Southern Medicine for global people. <laughs> so I think that's a very, very accurate way of, of, of looking at the state of affairs today. <laughs> so speaking of the state of affairs today, Ayo, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Yeah, well, um, these are these weird kind of career trajectories that, that uh, once I had finished my PhD, I, I uh, was uh, offered a or was uh, fortunate enough to get a position working on uh, the ethics of medical research in China. Um, so I've switched countries and currently have just uh, received a, a three-year um, a very uh, nice award from the Danish Independent uh, Research Council uh, for a project on uh, reproductive technologies in China. So I'm doing ethnography in a lab again, but this time actually a, a sperm bank's lab. So from herb to uh, herbs to gametes, that's that's quite a switch. And from Vietnam to China, so oh, it's wow. quite a switch. Yeah. That's a fascinating project too. Okay, so I'm going to make um, a request in advance that when that book is out, you call me. And we will talk yes, again about for that sure, one. For sure. In a few years, so, well, it took six years for this one. So. Well, <laughs> yeah. hopefully we'll still be, the new book network will still, still exist yes, and be for sure. active. Well, sure. Ayo, thank you so much um, for talking with us today about this book. It's a really wonderful, very cohesive and very coherent volume. And I hope um, a lot of people have a chance to read it because um, I, I learned a ton. There's a ton um, of mat- wonderful material in here and just a, a lot of wonderful sparks of information or inspiration rather um, that I think um, hopefully will spark a lot of future projects for a lot of other scholars who are going to be inspired by this volume. So thank you so much. Thanks, Carla. You've been listening to New Books in East Asian Studies. Thanks so much and we'll see you next time. <laughs>